Welcome to Choosing Leadership, a podcast for high performers with big dreams and for leaders who know that they are more powerful than the level that they are currently playing. I am Sumit Gupta, your host and the founder CEO of the Deploy Yourself School of Leadership. I am here to help the best leaders get better and to help organizations massively improve their output and impact and at the same time eradicating workplace stress. Yes completely eradicating not just reducing completely eradicating i believe in creating a future and a work culture where people wait for mondays not fridays and get to do their most meaningful work the aim of this podcast is not to provide you more content but instead shift the context under which you operate this podcast is titled choosing leadership because that is what leadership is a choice In each episode I will celebrate leaders who have made such choices which are not always easy and comfortable but which has helped them get to where they are today. And let us celebrate the leader in us for choosing to move over our fears, for choosing to be motivated by something bigger than ourselves and for choosing to deal with every challenge that comes on the way. Let us celebrate you right now for stepping into the unknown and taking courageous action as those were the moments when you chose leadership at the end i will share how you can be our next guest on this podcast and with that let's get started tom is the executive chairman and a co-founder at fryer battery in the interview tom shares his journey from the oil and gas industry to founding a battery company focused on mitigating climate change he emphasizes the urgency for leaders to embrace change to navigate volatility and to possess empathy for diverse perspectives tom envisions a world powered by solar wind water and batteries reducing energy cost and fostering global well-being hi tom welcome to the choosing leadership podcast hi sumit pleasure to be here it's a pleasure to have you here why don't you start by sharing a bit about yourself and what is it uh, that you do today Sure. So Sumit, my name is Tom Jansen. I'm a Norwegian national. I'm a co-founder and executive chairman of Freier Battery. We are the leading Norwegian initiative for sustainable battery cell manufacturing. We are one of the few companies in this space that have gone public on the New York Stock Exchange. So we are a listed New York Stock Exchange entity. We just redomiciled from Luxembourg to the United States. We are focusing our battery production efforts on energy storage systems, mm-hmm. so ESS applications, so large containerized solutions using so-called LFP batteries. We have also decided to take to scale a disruptive US-based technology, a technology called 24M, which is really a technology that produces larger and thicker batteries. We have started up our first facility in this regard, which is the largest and most modern facility of its kind in the world and we dare say possibly one of the more advanced battery manufacturing facilities globally that is up and running now in Moirana in Norway which is mid to northern Norway on the coastline there and we built a 13000 square meter large facility where half of it roughly contains this next generation battery manufacturing facility we have 213 people in the company we raised about 1 billion dollars in the public equity markets primarily in the New York 
stock exchange environment. We have no debt, a strong balance sheet, a 130 gigawatt hour customer pipeline with all raw materials and assets secured. And we are ready to start fully automated production of this next generation technology in the very near future. And we are now looking to leverage that position and scale further, also diversifying into conventional technology. So that's a little bit about me. I'm an economist by background, unfortunately, and I say that a little bit deliberately because I have been leading and driving development of disruptive technology and disruptive business models in the sustainability space for the last 15 years. And that is all about technology, physics, chemistry, biology, etc. Uh, I've also been dabbling into um, integrated reforestation uh, at scale in the tropics and also regenerative agricultural practices. So I have a core focus on sustainable solutions, but the bulk of my time has been spent on disruptive technology in the renewable energy space. So everything from hydrogen to biofuel to solar in different contexts and now also batteries. And I'm passionate about it and I'm uh, super excited to be on this podcast and look forward to the conversation. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing what you shared. And I think it's impressive what you have built as a company. But I want to go back a little bit to your backstory, right? You said you started as an economist or studied as an economist. And what you are saying is your focus now or is your passion now. Can you share where did that focus started to develop? Because it takes a lot to start a company to make it sustainable as a business, especially in an area which, especially if I go back a few decades, it's not like everybody was thinking of or doing that. So how did that focus or that, I think your deep desire that I can see or listen in your voice develop? Yeah. So thank you for that, Sumit. So I've always been been preoccupied with sustainable development. I am Norwegian and Norwegians tend to have a strong focus on sustainable development. Even though I grew up commercially in the oil and gas business and in the aluminium business in, in one of the larger industrial companies in Norway called Norsk Hydro. And this is also where I was exposed more and more to not only the general climatic impact fossil fuel has on the environment, but also how mining operations and industrial activity has local and regional sort of impact in the areas in which it operates. And that doesn't necessarily mean only negative impact, but the sort of externalities that come from industrial activity with employment and development of local societies, et cetera. But also, of course, the fact that you're impacting nature and ecosystems around in which you operate. And I've also seen that it's possible to do this in a better fashion than most and that it's possible to create 100% circular models, and it's possible to create positive externalities from everything you do. So this was part of the reason why I branched out of, let's call it traditional industry, some 15 years ago. Now it's 16 years ago, since we're in 2024. And, and then I started out in regenerative agriculture. So think biofertilizers and, and biopesticides and biostimulants, and using again, circular production models to use waste as feedstock for producing products with low capex and low opex. Uh, and to succeed in any of these startup environments, it's all about having a viable value proposition based on sound technology and based on understanding how that technology can operate in its market environment and then understanding that market environment and then understanding 
how to raise capital into that environment for the company that you're working on. And I've been involved with a, a number of different companies across these three verticals that I mentioned, regenerative agriculture, integrated reforestation, and renewable energy. And common for all of these companies, if they are coming from a startup environment and going into scale, is how do you mature the technology over time? How do you mature the commerciality of the technology over time? And how do you ensure that you have the right people and the right funding from the right investors on board over time? Mm. And this has been a journey that has been quite interesting, but I think at the bottom of everything is if you're going to be credible, if you're going to be perceived as a credible steward of investors' money, you need to understand the subject matter that you are talking about. So being an economist by training, I have learned how to get reasonably deep on different subjects. And I'm also a little bit of a nerd when it comes to climate technology. But I have to say that I find myself increasingly at 2 a.m. in the morning reading about stuff that I haven't really studied at school. And then I surround myself always with some of the best and brightest brains in the area of expertise so that you can actually have deep conversations with subject matter experts. And then you can take that subject matter expertise and translate into a value proposition and a business model and ultimately a proposition to investors that ultimately makes sense. So it's quite a journey. Not everything has gone according to plan, and there's always ups and downs in, in this space. But the good news is the world knows how to solve its problems. Hmm. We are 98% there when it comes to technical solutions to mitigate climate change, probably even 100% there, if I'm being honest, with solar, wind, and long-duration storage, which basically can replace all fossil-based alternatives for all um, mm. different market verticals. It's just so that most people don't really see it, or many people don't really see it yet, but increasingly, people are understanding that the performance and cost of solar, coupled with the performance and cost of batteries, can really make a massive dent in both transportation and energy generation globally. And that's why I'm super excited about being a core principal and a co-founder of a battery company that really wants to produce the most sustainable batteries at scale, at a speed that allows us to mitigate climate change faster than what most people think is possible. So that's a little bit of the background in the context that we find ourselves in. Yeah, yeah. And when it comes to, like when you say that we are almost 98% there, what is missing, right? What is it? that is required from the from either from your leadership or from the wider leadership world to adopt and to move towards that vision uh, as fast as possible. Well, so I think it's an integration between private and public initiatives, and a lot of it has to do with funding. I do think, you know, the writing is on the wall, and I do think a lot is happening already. Uh, China has taken a very strong leadership position in the energy transition and, and have a very dominant market position in core uh, renewable energy technologies, including solar and batteries, and also all the precursors and other input materials that go into both of them. Uh, the Americans actually have taken a big step forward, uh, which they did in August 2022, when they launched the Inflation Reduction Act, which really is a climate bill. Uh, first and foremost, then it is a security of 
critical energy infrastructure supply bill, and then it is a reduction of energy cost bill, meaning the Inflation Reduction Act. So I think U.S. implemented this in large part as a response to China's dominance in the renewable energy space. And it's a deeply incentivizing program that enables competitive solutions to build capacity in the U.S. very fast. And you've also already seen throughout 2023 that a number of initiatives have been uh, launched in the U.S. Uh, and the U.S. has already overtaken Europe when it comes to announced investments in renewable energy technology and battery-related uh, uh, facilities, maybe in particular. So Europe uh, is, of course, uh, trying to respond to this. And there has been a number of initiatives in Europe uh, in this regard, but it's still uh, at a level uh, where it needs to be stepped up quite significantly. So to specifically mm -hmm. answer your question, uh, cost competitive uh, and uh, economically viable solutions are there, uh, but some of them are perceived to have less maturity uh, and therefore the financeability of it will require government intervention. And governments on the world really need to wake up to that incentivization. The U.S. has done so. And because the U.S. has done so through the Inflation Reduction Act, it is inevitable, in my opinion, that Europe will also have to respond in the same manner. Because mm -hmm. you're seeing quite a big shift in terms of where uh, different companies are allocating their priorities. And we are a case in point in this regard because we started up in Norway based on a perception of having competitive framework conditions in Norway and Europe, then the Inflation Reduction Act came and we were already back then positioning ourselves to replicate what we were doing in Norway and the US, but then we pivoted. So we shifted our main focus to the US and put Norway on hold. And we announced that to the market last year. Uh, and the reason why we put the gigafactory development in Norway on hold is because the framework conditions in the US are so much better than what we can see in Europe and Norway at the moment. And therefore, we need to allocate our, our equity dollars to where the return on equity is the greatest. But we have a technology that works and we have a facility up and running in Norway already at industrial scale, which is the basis for or scaling now in the US first and then hopefully Norway second. Uh, once Europe and the Norwegian authorities understand that if they want to accelerate mm. the transition, competitive framework conditions need to be there. So that's really what it boils down to, is to unlock financing. And the government have a large role to do that in terms of providing stable, competitive, and incentivizing framework conditions. And the Inflation Reduction Act in the US is the poster child in this regard. Yeah, yeah. And coming back to your own uh, personal leadership, uh, can you share what role do you see yourself uh, playing in the in this transition, both within and outside your organization? So I hope that I can be a source of inspiration and one that can set direction and have clarity around direction and have consistency around that direction. Uh, I hope I can be a spokesperson or not just hope. I am a spokesperson for the company, of course, externally, together with the chief executive officer. I am also uh, a person who would like to provide thought leadership in the space on how to unlock and enable the battery industry at large globally. I think that is all about ensuring deployment of sufficient number of 
facilities in regional context, because this oh. is critical energy infrastructure and it needs to be produced more locally than what is the case with the current energy system. I can come back to that in a second. And so to provide the perspective on how the planet can move from a largely fossil-based energy system to one that is powered by solar, wind, and batteries with balancing capacity of hydro and maybe select few other niche applications is what I aspire to, to increasingly be a spokesperson for in the global. And, and there's no question that the maturity and cost levels of these technologies already are deeply competitive to its fossil fuel counterparts. So we are actually moving from a system where energy is produced in select regions around the world. Think the Middle East, think Russia, think West Africa, think United States uh, and select other regions. And then that oil and gas and coal is transported around the world in large shipping containers and or in pipelines. And by the way, up to 50% of all global shipping is the transportation of fossil fuels. Now, a world that is largely powered by solar and wind will be energy generation where you actually need it. So it will be energy generation at the point of consumption and not yeah. energy generation at the point of extracting the fuel. Uh, and therefore, you will have a much leaner system. You will have a much more cost competitive system. You will have energy costs that are coming down to a much lower level than what we're seeing today. So work that is fully decarbonized, leveraging again, solar, wind, water, and batteries. If you can use those four main elements as the sort of backbone of the future energy system, you're probably looking at an 80%, 80% overall reduction in cost of energy on average globally. And that is a world where we can think and, and start doing things that we are limited in doing today because energy is a scarce resource, mm. generally speaking, globally. But we're moving to a world where energy is going to be much less of a scarce resource and much more a source of optimizing the quality of life for human beings all over the world. So in terms yeah. of my leadership role in all of this is to try to articulate both in a micro context within the company, how can we play a role in this development and evolution? And then on the global scene, try to be a source of inspiration and one that can connect the dots between how to build something on the ground and mm -hmm. how that matches up with, with global priorities and global requirements, and not least how to mitigate climate change. So those are some reflections around what role I aim to play in this. Yeah. And, and as you play that role, as you provide the inspiration and talk to people beyond your own organization, which includes like other CEOs, companies, governments, and, and including those uh, vested interests as well. So if like 50% of shipping is used in that, there's a lot of uh, like business or, or revenue generation that is happening as a part of that. What do you see are your biggest challenges in like dealing with the outside, like outside your own organization? So that the world moves, as you said, towards the vision that you just described. Yeah. So to put a little bit of a simplistic spin on it, the world didn't leave the stone age because we ran out of stone and we moved from horses to cars much faster than most people think. And we will move from a fossil situation, coal first, then oil, then gas, much faster than most people think, mm -hmm. 
because there are alternatives that are better, that improve the quality of life. And, and disruption happens uh, as primarily as a consequence of economic rent and as a consequence of lower cost and as a consequence of better product. And solar plus batteries or solar wind plus batteries is just a better energy product when it comes to the overall equation than what is the case today. Take electric vehicles as an example. Today, you have about three to 500 different models of electric vehicles on the market, which is probably two to three times more than what we saw two to three years ago. And the best uh, solutions out there have range now that eliminates almost completely range anxiety. Mm -hmm. uh, the cost of the battery for most vehicles are now already below the combustion engine counterpart. Um, the way in which the internal interior, if you like, and the entertainment systems and the maps and how you can use a car uh, has dramatically changed already mm -hmm. how people think about the vehicle. And moving forward, as we're moving to autonomous vehicles and driverless uh, vehicles and so on and so forth, uh, with continued increase in range and continued decrease in cost, et cetera, you will see that the combustion engine will be outcompeted. Same with coal-based power, gas-based power, and oil-based solutions for other, other verticals. They just mm. will be outcompeted because... The solutions are there and the solutions are being scaled and the solutions are being rolled out. Let me take another example for you. So in 2023, the world deployed more than one gigawatt of solar capacity per day, which is probably 20, 30% higher than what most people thought at the beginning of 2023. Mm. The same development will happen in 2024. We will deploy, we homo sapiens will deploy much more solar than what most people realize. And that will displace gas-fired power. And it will displace coal-fired power primarily. And then to balance that intermittent energy creation, which solar is, you need batteries. And therefore, battery deployment will increase faster than most people think because the cost of producing batteries has also come down quite significantly. Now, when you add that all up over the next 10, 15, 20 years, I think there will be certain companies in the current makeup of the S&P 500 or in the FTSE 100 or in any of these large indices that just won't be there 15, 20 years from now because they're not able to come to terms with the speed at which the energy transition is happening. On the other side of the coin, you will have companies that are able to disrupt their own business models and partner with the companies such as ours that are moving into this space. So we would like to have a partnership-based approach or not just would like to, we have a partnership-based approach in our go-to-market strategy. We'd like to look upon ourselves as an industrialization scaling partner of choice in the battery space. Hmm. And we fundamentally recognize the value that the large incumbents and the large companies across the energy landscape can play in the energy transition. Some of these companies are quite active and quite forward-leaning and taking bold positions in this transitioning environment. Some are much more conservative and are just trying to milk the last drop, literally, out of the reservoirs that they're producing. And I do think that many of these companies uh, have already passed their so-called Kodak moment. Mm -hmm. uh, 
the question is how many companies are able to see the writing on the wall and see the Kodak photo that is being placed in front of them. Unfortunately, many companies don't see it and the the leaders of these companies uh, don't recognize it and are get too caught up in their entrenched interest. Uh, And we would like to try to be a voice of reason in this. And again, a partnership-based organization in this regard. Yeah, thank you for adding that. I think what you're sharing is what, and what I'm listening is that like the technology has reached a point that even economically, it will be difficult to sustain in the old way. And then naturally people will have to, will have to move. Yeah, Yeah, it's, we are, we're at the point on the S-curve now where we're beyond the early adopters. We are in the best part of the adoption curve on many of these technologies. Yeah. And it's, of course, a highly disruptive environment to be in. Uh, and you, as I keep saying, both internally and externally, we have to get up extremely early in the morning to be able to compete in this environment. But we owe it to our children to get up early in the morning and ensure that we can clean up the mess that we and our parents have created on this planet. Uh, and I'm, I don't mean to be negative about what has create, been created because, of course, we have created huge amounts of wealth and and higher standards of living for an increasing population. But we're still in a setting where 8.1 billion people, where a very large fraction of them don't have access to clean water, don't have access to energy, uh, don't have access to basic rule of law, don't have access to freedom of speech, don't have access to a number of things. So the fact that we can do better, something that inevitably will happen. It is embedded in human nature to strive for improvement. And that is embodied in improved technology development. And it's astounding and quite amazing, actually, what we are able to accomplish. And imagine, as a final point, Sumit, what we can do when we really start putting artificial intelligence and machine learning systems onto these complicated Mm. electrochemical and electromechanical and biological and whatever sort of issues that we're grappling with. When you have billions and trillions of calculations that can be done every second, it's inevitable that evolution is just going to pick up pace. And those who are able to play within that space will be the winners of today and tomorrow. And the ones who look upon it and say that the energy system is so big and trans, but cannot be disrupted, yeah. they're in for a day of reckoning. Yes, absolutely. I think I can hear your passion and this make the voice that you're you know, speaking very clearly. So now the question is, you also mentioned, right, you have a company which is growing, which has a healthy balance sheet, which also means that you need to have a set of leaders who do not just take care of the business, who, but who also advocate this voice of values of doing things the right way and leaving things like the right way and not just creating another set of problems while doing this journey, transition journey. What kind of leaders like, do you need or in the wider world do we need? And then how are you investing in growing, let's say, the next level of leaders as the organization itself grows and you will need more and more of that so that while the business fundamentals are taken care of, the leadership is also directional and aligned with, uh, I think, what you created the company, like from the, what is the grounding and the foundation of the company? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think we're increasingly seeing with the emerging generations and with select members of my own generation that there is already a quite deep sense of urgency and deep understanding in the need for change. Change leadership and ability to live in constant change 
uh, is something that is quite important. You need to be willing to accept that what was true yesterday is not the same as what is true to today, which is not the same as what will be true tomorrow. Uh, and you need to be able to, to live in that, let's call it increasingly volatile and increasingly dynamic environment. But at the same time, my children have not lived in a world without iPad, right? They don't know a world without cell phones. I do, right? Because I come from a world where we didn't have cell phones and we didn't have iPads. The children that are being born today have not lived in a world without chat GPT, right? And whatever future versions of that, where you can actually just ask a machine anything and you can get a full dissertation in perfect English or any language there is on what you should do. So the way in which one learns and the way in which one applies technology uh, into improving technology is going to be a core feature of tomorrow. How do we leverage data computing power, Moore's law, Bright's law? How do we combine these things into building better technical systems to extract energy from the sun and to convert that energy into improved standards of living for an increased population? So I think you need to have empathy and to a much larger extent than what has been the case before. And I am not saying that because I think empathy in itself is important, which I do personally, but I do think empathy for other people, empathy for other cultures, empathy for other religions and people's different views are going to be important for the leaders of tomorrow. So those are the kinds of qualities that I would be looking for beyond, of course, subject matter expertise that needs to be stellar and top-notch, et cetera. But I think if I should try to focus on one thing that will distinguish the winning companies from, or the ultimate winners, let's call it that, companies, ultimate winning companies, is really this ability to embrace change and that change is good. And ability to have a stable, in a way, direction and a clear true north, if you can use that expression, but at the same time be able to navigate the volatility that inevitably be, will be high in a, a quite fundamentally changing environment, that is going to be core. Final thing I'll say is we are standing in front of the largest secular shift in Homo sapiens history. And the speed at which we're able to enable and lead this shift is directly correlated to the future being of our children. And that's why this is going to happen, I think, much faster than most people think, because the combination of a general willingness to improve standards of living for everyone, coupled with the fact that technology is becoming deeply cost competitive and much cheaper than the alternatives, coupled with the fact that we are learning much faster and have tools to learn much faster, just will enable this transition to happen much faster than most people think. So I'm quite optimistic when it comes to the overall sort of evolution of the planet, because the underlying, let's call it trends are so strong, but I'm quite pessimistic to specific companies' abilities to succeed in that environment, especially those who sit with uh, old school ways of thinking. Mm. So trying to implement a flexible, agile, forward-leaning, rooted in science, but still embracing that extreme let's call it volatility, based on dynamic evolution and rapid development through Moore's law and Wright's law and all of those things, 
Uh, and those are the kinds of people that should be the leaders of the industry of tomorrow. Thank you. Thank you, Tom, for sharing your thoughts uh, and your optimism with me today. I deeply appreciate like everything that you shared and that you have done. But I think one thing which I could see is the way you have answered, the way you have articulated. I think that also shows a very like clear-headed way of uh, responding to things versus reacting to things, which I also see happen in the leadership world, whether business world or the political world. And I think just the way that you have answered the questions, I'm going to walk away with that. So I want to appreciate that. So thank you for being who you are. And as we end this, I would like to wish you all the best for everything that lies ahead for you. Thank you very much, Sumit. It's been a pleasure to be here. And please don't be a stranger. I'm happy to, to, to talk to you again. Perfect. Yeah, thank you. That's it for this episode of Choosing Leadership with Sumit Gupta. I choose leadership every time I record this podcast and I invite you to do the same. I invite you to design a life of joy, meaning, pride and satisfaction, not just for yourself, but for everybody around you. If you got something out of this episode, would you share this episode on social media? And if you know somebody who would be a great guest, can you tag them on social media to let them know about the show? And if you are a leader who wants to acknowledge how far you have come and have big dreams for the future, please reach out to me to be a guest on this podcast. And I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. This is what I do most naturally, to lovingly and gently provoke you to help you see your own light, to help you see what you are already capable of. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and it means a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to deployyourself.com and subscribe to my newsletter or follow me on LinkedIn. I want to thank everyone who contributed to making this show a reality and I want to thank you for listening. Always remember that you are enough, you are loved and you matter. This is Sumit. Until next time, keep choosing leadership.